You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. As I look back over the past few years, I see God's thankfulness, or God's faithfulness, and I thank him for that. Amen? God is so good, and I've been really you with a pastor and an author named Scott Sauls, and he said this line uh, in this podcast that really uh, stuck with me. I actually tweeted this line. Uh, it's, he said this, aim at health, and you'll get fruitfulness thrown in. And I really, uh, it resonated with me because that's really what we sought out to do when we planted Hill City Church, is we weren't trying to be the biggest church, the most flashy church. We were trying to be healthy. We were trying to be the healthiest church uh, that we could be. And here, even four years later, we're seeing fruitfulness, and we're seeing fruit from that. And we give God uh, all the praise and all the glory uh, for that. All too often, it's easy to make growth and fruit the goal, as opposed to the byproduct of the goal, which is to be faithful to God and to be the the church that he has called you to be. And so as I was thinking about this this line, aim at health and you'll get fruitfulness thrown in, I have, just to start off today, uh, a word of warning and a word of hope for us as a church, okay? First, a word of warning. Uh, For us, as we see growth and as we see fruit and God really creating the fruit and causing those things, the warning for us is not to get too caught up in the fruitfulness, church. I know it's exciting. It's ex- growth is exciting, and baptisms are exciting, and those things, we, we want to celebrate those things and be grateful to God for those things, and yet we don't want to lose track and make an idol out of growth, do we? And, uh, and so that would be my, my word of warning for us as a church, uh, that at this point in the lifespan of our church, that we would not neglect the first things, that we would continue to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, that we would continue to walk by the Holy Spirit in our own lives, that we would continue to cultivate deep Christ-like community, that we would continue to be faithful to the calling in which he's called us. Will you do that, Hill City Church? Okay, that's the word of warning. Now, a word of hope from that, though. And the word of hope is, if we would continue to pursue health, to be as healthy as we can in our own discipleship, in our own uh, culture as a church, I believe that the fruit that we're seeing now is actually the first fruits. I believe, uh, a word of hope is that I believe our best days are not behind us, our best days are ahead of us. And if we would continue to be faithful to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we've been called, that God has greater things in the days ahead. Do you believe that? I believe that wholeheartedly, and I'm praying for that, but I'm praying that uh, the days ahead would come out of really a a deeply grounded place in the gospel for us as a church, Uh, that we would continue to aim at health, and God, we would trust God with the fruitfulness. We would trust God with the growth. Today, we're starting a new teaching series, a three-week teaching series called Walk with God. That phrase, walk with God, might be familiar to you. It's part of our mission statement as a church. If you're new with us, here's our mission statement as a church, to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. 
Walk, connect, and impact. Uh, In one word, you could summarize what Hill City Church is all about with the word discipleship. We want to become disciples of Jesus, and we want to make disciples. Uh, We want to help you grow in your discipleship to Jesus. And uh, part of being a disciple means that you walk with God. I mean, Jesus told us to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, part of your discipleship to Jesus is that you would connect with people. Uh, we say that, you know, we want to have the kind of community that Jesus cast vision for when he said we should love your neighbor as yourself, right? So we, we want to have this deep kind of community. And then you would impact the world. I mean, Jesus told us uh, to go into all nations and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded us. So, so really, that's what our mission is. That's what we're all about as a church. And so this series is really exploring just one aspect of that mission, our walk with God, our relationship with Jesus. And uh, if that's intriguing to you, our mission, and you're new with us, will you join us? Would you join us in our mission? And if you're here and you've been a part of Hill City, will you join us? That the mission of Hill City Church is not just for me to accomplish or the the staff to accomplish, it's all of us, right? We are in this together on mission for the sake of the gospel. And so will you take it as your mission to become and make a disciple who walks with God, connects with people, and impacts the world? Uh, We talk about discipleship using this tool called the stages of discipleship. It might be familiar to you. This is a chart that we show every so often. We believe that everyone fits into one of these five stages of discipleship. You might be uh, here, and you might be someone who would describe yourself as pre-faith. What that simply means is you don't yet have a faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Um, It might be someone who's totally antagonistic to the gospel, Right, totally opposed, or you might be pre-faith, even if you're not totally opposed, even if you're, you're curious and you're seeking who God is, but you just aren't sure yet. You're not at the point where you would put your faith in Jesus. Someone who's new to the faith is someone who has recently become a follower of Christ. Uh, So someone who's recently put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, someone who maybe just got baptized, and uh, they've recently become a follower of Jesus, but it's like a plant that's just sprouted out of the ground, that, that there's a need for structure, there's a need for support and community, and it's so important for you, uh, if you're new to the faith, that you would get deeply rooted in, in a church community that can help you in your discipleship. The third stage is someone who's young in the faith, and you might be young in the faith if you're just young, right? An eight-year-old who decides to follow Jesus and gets baptized. I was baptized when I was eight years old. They might be 13 years old, and they've technically followed Jesus for five years, but they're still what? They're just young, right? And for you, even if you you decided to follow Jesus later in life, but you haven't been following him for that long, you might be young in the faith. But for some Christians, this also describes the the reality that there's a barrier to depth sometimes. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells the parable of uh, the sower and the soils. And for some of us in our lives, there's those, those weeds or there's those rocks that are actually preventing maturity in Christ. And so it's very possible. And I think the American church is full of people who are young in the faith who've been going to church for decades. And what that means is, for someone who's young in the faith, the telltale sign is they're following Jesus is still primarily all about 
them. There's a lot of needs for someone who's young in the faith. And, and one of the ways that you might describe someone who's young in the faith is as a spiritual consumer, right? You go to church to get fed, to be poured into, and it's still about your needs. And so the best way to move from being young in the faith to being in the next stage, which is growing in the faith, is all of a sudden, to, to instead of being a spiritual consumer, to be a spiritual contributor. Jesus came, and he said not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you remember that? So, so what are some telltale signs of someone who's growing in the faith? They serve and they give. They're living their lives selflessly, sacrificially, uh, for the, the purpose of the kingdom, right? And so this might look like actually you know, serving in church or giving to the work of ministry, but it really is a posture of your entire life right? Where you're living your life others-centered. That's what it means to be growing in the faith. I've seen a lot of fruit in our church over the last four years of people moving from young in the faith to growing in the faith. And I give God the praise and the glory for that. But then there's a fifth stage. And the fifth stage is someone who's mature in the faith. And by definition, the fifth stage uh, is someone who has grown to the point where they are now reproducing, They've gone from being a spiritual young adult to a spiritual parent. And what that means is that they're growing such good fruit in their lives that that fruit has seeds, and the seeds are now being sown into the lives of others. And essentially what this means is you've gone from being a disciple yourself to being what's called a disciple maker, and you're helping other people grow in their faith. And uh, so I would just, I would just uh, encourage you to look at that chart and to be honest with yourself. It doesn't do you any good to pretend that you're in a stage that you're not. And just ask yourself, which stage of discipleship am I in right now? Which stage, which stage are, are you in right now? And do you want to grow to the next stage? Or are you content being exactly where you are? Or do you want to grow to deeper maturity? The reality is all of us are on this journey with Jesus to continue to grow to maturity in Christ. And so this series is really focused not on the discipleship stages, but on what's called the discipleship path. Are you ready for a good chart? I love a good chart, by the way. I love a good chart. So this is, these three arrows is what we call the discipleship path. And spoiler alert, this is what the three weeks of this teaching series, do what Jesus did. Today we're talking about being with Jesus, but essentially these are these three steps that will help you continue to move towards growth. And I would just, I would just encourage you to look at that chart. And if you've identified what stage you're in, I would just ask you the question, what are you going to do to keep growing? What do you need to do? What step do you need to focus on to keep growing into Christ's likeness? The reality is uh, Jesus has a lot of social media followers. Now, he doesn't actually have a social media profile, but I'll explain what I mean by that. Many Christians want to be social media followers of Jesus, not real followers of Jesus, do you see the difference there? I, follow, I don't follow like a ton of celebrities on social media. It's not really why I have a social media profile. But I follow a few, like Bear Grylls and Hugh Jackman, right? Some of those guys. And, uh, and it's fun to see what they're up to. You know, they post stories, and you kind of feel like you know those people. But do you actually know them? No. I wish I could tell you, like, yeah, me and Bear Grylls, we're best friends. But he doesn't know who I am, right? So, so there's a difference between knowing about someone, we can call that being a social media follower only, 
and actually knowing someone. In John 10, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. So before we even follow Jesus, there has to be this relational knowledge. There has to be this actually knowing one another, being more than social media followers. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, in his book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, says this, we may know a lot about God in our heads, but none of these things matter if we remain unknown by Christ. And what matters is the genuine fruit that comes to you want to know Jesus more. Do you want to know him more? Or are you satisfied with being a social media follower only? The reality is Jesus desires that from each one of us, and he invites us into a genuine relationship with him. Uh, let's jump into our teaching text for today. We'll be in uh, Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. This is maybe a familiar story. It's the feeding of the 5,000. We're not actually really going to look at the miracle uh, today at all, but I want to show you just kind of what's, what, what happens right before the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that he had done, that they had done and taught. And he said to them, look at Jesus' invitation, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Uh, this is one of the few times that the apostles before uh, the book of Acts are actually called apostles. Uh, usually they're called disciples. So a disciple is a learner or a follower. An apostle is someone who's out there on mission. They're, they're literally, apostello means to be sent out. And uh, that's what Jesus did with his disciples. He didn't just invite them to follow him and learn from him. He also commissioned them. And in this specific case, the disciples have just uh, finished traveling from village to village, house to house. They've been preaching the gospel. They've been casting out demons. And they've been healing people. I don't know if you've ever done those three things in a week. It will tire you out, okay? They are drained. Like, I get tired preaching two sermons on a Sunday. Imagine doing that door to door, and then you knock on one door, and it's a demon-possessed guy, and now you've got to cast the demon out. And you knock on another door, and the person is paralyzed, and you're healing the paralyzed, right? Do you see that? They are wiped, and they're excited. There's a little bit of that, like, you know, mountaintop experience on fire. Lord, look at what we did for you. And they're, 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 they're riding that wave of doing for Jesus. And Jesus looks at them and he says, no, I, what you need the most right now is you need to be with me. And he invites them to get away from the busy. Can you imagine that? Jesus, by the way, is busier than anyone in this room. I know you feel like you're busy. He doesn't have time to eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner because he has literally thousands of people wanting something from him at any moment in time, wanting healing, wanting, wanting deliverance. They're, they're searching him out. They're seeking him out. They're, they're hunting him down. This is before phones were a thing, okay? Before email was a thing. And, and he's so busy, and he says, we got to get in the boat. And what Jesus invites his disciples to do, in one word, we might summarize this invitation from Jesus, is he invites them to abide. Everyone say the word abide. 
this is very significant. This is, this is really the essence of what it means to be with Jesus, is the word abide. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus uh, uses this word when he describes his relationship with his followers. He says this, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. And really, this is a familiar uh, picture. Jesus himself is describing himself as a vine and the branches. What happens to a branch when you chop it off? It shrivels up and it dies. It might look like it is still alive for a little while, but, but leave it a few days. The life source has been removed. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that apart from him, apart from connection or abiding with him, really, we cannot experience the life of Christ. Uh, the Greek word for abide is meno, and it means abide, remain, to continue with, to stay with, to endure, or to live. It, it really means to connect, uh, to be deeply attached to. You might describe your home as your abode, right? It's the same word, right? To, it's the place you abide. It's the place that you live. And so the reality is the life that Jesus has for us is described as a life overflowing, a life abundant. It's zoe, eternal life, which does not simply refer to an enduring life, right? A life after death. It certainly does include that. But internal life starts right now when you have a faith in Jesus Christ. It's a quality of life. It's the kind of life God has for you. And that kind of life is impossible to experience apart from abiding with Christ. It's, it, you cannot experience the life God has for you without connection, deep-rooted connection to Jesus. Here's our main point for today. Discipleship begins and ends with abiding in Christ. It begins and ends. If you think about that chart for a second, these three steps are not progressive in the sense that you move from one step to the next. You never graduate from abiding in Christ. You realize that? You know, the person who is mature in Christ, and they follow Jesus for years, and they've made many, many disciples, and they've baptized people, that person doesn't say, yeah, I remember when I used to abide in Christ early on in my faith. I've graduated from it now, right? In fact, one of the telltale signs of someone who is mature in their faith is they actually continue to go deeper and deeper in their time with God. Uh, the, these steps are cumulative. They're, they're, they're steps that are added, stacked, one on top of another. And we know that discipleship begins with abiding in Christ. I mean, how can you follow someone that you've never been with, that you don't know? I mean, how, we, that's the whole social media follower thing. You can't legitimately follow someone if you don't actually have a relational connection with them. We know that discipleship begins there. Jesus says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Right? And in John, what is recorded there is the first two disciples who follow Jesus, they just simply go and see where he's staying for the day. And Jesus says, come and be with me and see where I'm staying. But did you realize discipleship actually also ends there, that the end goal of discipleship is also abiding in Christ? In John 14, 3, Jesus describes where he's going. He says this, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You want to know that the way that, one of the ways that Jesus describes heaven is a house with many rooms where we can sit at a table and feast with Christ together. 
in community with the church and in community with Christ. Heaven is described as a, a wedding banquet. It's, this, it's, it's, it's a place of being together. Do you see that? It's not some American individualized kind of heaven. It's this communal kind of thing. That's the way that Jesus describes. Do you notice that language? That, I, that where I am, you may be also. Heaven is the place where you can be with Jesus. It's the beginning and it's the end of discipleship. And, and it's not just Jesus in the Gospels. Look at Revelation chapter 21. This is the end of the story. Verse 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. I mean, oftentimes when we read Revelation 21, we think of all things new, and we think of no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. We think of all of that stuff and how good it will be, and that's certainly a blessing of heaven, but one of the greatest blessings of heaven is the deepest kind of abiding that you will ever experience with God, and you get to experience that forever. Discipleship begins and it ends with abiding in Christ. So, so needless to say, I cannot emphasize enough how important being with Jesus is. How important being with Jesus is in the life of every single follower of Christ. We cannot skip step one, church. So what I want to do is I want to give you three questions if you're taking notes, okay? Three questions that if you were to ask yourself these three questions, they will help you abide in Christ more. The first question is, where is your quiet place? Number one, where is your quiet place? Jesus knows that he needs to get away from the crowds. Do you see that? He needs to get away from the crowds, and they need to get in the boat, and it says, come and be with me in a desolate place. This, well, this quiet place idea is the Greek word eremos. Eremos uh, could be defined as a desert, a deserted place, a desolate place, a solitary place, a lonely place, a quiet place, or wilderness. Do you get the idea of what Eremos is? It's not so much necessarily that it's a place where there's sand instead of trees. It's a place where no one else is. It's a, it's a quiet place. It's an uninterrupted place. The reality is uh, we still need to go away with Jesus to the Eremos, don't we? We need to get away from distractions. You need to silence the cell phone. We need to get away from work. We need to get away from chores. We need to get away from entertainment and Netflix and distractions. And there are places that, are, that you can connect with God more easily because they're quiet, because they're lonely, because they're desolate. Uh, and I know technically God is everywhere. If you want to get really like metaphysical about it, right? The earth is the Lord's and everywhere uh, within it. And there is no place on earth or in the universe that really is beyond God's reach. And I understand that. But the reality is there are some places where you can get away to that place and you're just going to be able to be with Jesus in a different way than if you're out, if you're at work answering phone calls, or if you're at, at home with the kids and they're running around and screaming, right? Uh, look at what happens with uh, Jacob in Genesis 28, verse 16. Jacob has this amazing dream. It's where we get Jacob's ladder from, right? It's this, it's, he has a dream about heaven and earth being connected by this, this stairway or this ladder, and it's really this beautiful uh, promise about, you know, eschatological promise about heaven and earth being reunited. But he has this amazing dream, and look at what he says in Genesis 28, 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. 
He doesn't say, technically, God is everywhere. He says, God is specifically here in a different way. And it, and, and it's, it was me, in fact, who wasn't realizing it. It was my own awareness that was off. It wasn't that God was unwilling to meet with me. It was that I, I was so preoccupied, or I was thinking about this quarrel he has with his brother, and he's worried his brother's going to kill him, right? He, he, it's not that uh, th- those things. He says, man, God is here, and I did not know it. And I would just ask you that question. Man, where is your quiet place? Do you have it? Do you have a quiet place? Wherever it is, uh, don't pick a place, because some people might say, well, my quiet place is, uh, is up on Bogus Basin. It's like, well, how often are you up there, realistically? My place is in the Bahamas. It's like, okay, right? <laughs> you want to pick a place that you can access frequently, even if it's a chair in your living room. That can be your quiet place. A hammock in your backyard, that can be your quiet place. Uh, For me, I'll give you three of the frequent quiet places that I go to. We have three small children at home. Uh, I would not describe my household as a quiet place. We have got two high-energy dogs. It's insane most of the time. Okay, Uh, here are three of my, my quiet places. Number one is my car or my bike when I commute to work and commute home from work. I use that as my primary time where I listen to scripture. I have a reading plan that I listen to uh, every single day when I commute. And if I finish the reading plan on the drive into work or the bike into work, then I'll spend the time in prayer on the way home. And some of you are like, wow, that's so unspiritual to pray during your commute. And it's like, okay, but it's the only quiet time I have, okay? (laughs) It's the only quiet place I have. Uh, The running trail that's right behind my house is another go-to place. If I'm, if I'm going on an easy run, I will spend that time in prayer. And I'll sometimes even stop and walk for a little bit, which is really uncharacteristic of me because I'm very goal-oriented and driven. And there are some moments when, I, when I'm praying where I, where I even feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, stop. And I'll actually stop and just be still in, in the running trail right by my house. And if I'm at work and I want to take a few moments to at work, like I work here, okay. <laughs> so when I say when I work, when I'm at work, when I'm here during the week, during office hours. Uh, Believe it or not, instead of praying here in the church, which is a beautiful place to pray, like stained glass and all these things, is actually just going to walk through the neighborhood because I know I won't get interrupted with, you know, a need or something like that. And so I'll just actually, like the neighborhoods by here is the third quiet place. Where are your quiet places? Find them. Fight for them. And if you you would designate, man, this is a place, and I know, well, here's what's going to happen. It may be difficult to connect with God at first if you've never really done it, if, you've, if you haven't spent much time abiding or being with Jesus. And some people give up after a few times. Well, I tried. I tried sitting in silence, or I tried this. Try 365 times in a row. Go to a quiet place every single day. And the more frequently that you visit a quiet place, the more frequently you go to the Eremos, the more even your body will be prepared to the moment you sit down. I'm here to connect with Jesus. That's question number one. The second question is when. When is your quiet time? Everyone say when. First question is where. The second question is when. When is your quiet time? It's important for us to designate different times that we can be with Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, 35 through 37, we get another glimpse into the busyness and the chaos of the ministry of Christ. Look at what it says. And rising very early in the morning, 
You see the when there? Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, this is Jesus, and went out to a desolate place. There's that word again, right? And and there he prayed, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. To which, this isn't written in the Bible, so this is my paraphrase, to which Jesus said, that's the point. Why do you think I got up so early and left and got by myself? Like, of course everyone's looking. That's what I'm doing here. What are you doing? Why are you awake? Anyways. Do you see this in the ministry of Christ? He doesn't casually find times to connect with God. And I think for some of us, what we do is we kind of have those excuses, right? Well, I I don't want to, you know, I want to just connect with God when I feel like it. How does that work in your marriage? You only go on a date when you feel like it, right? You only spend time with your kids when you feel like it. You only call your friends when you feel like it. The reality, Henry Nouwen says it so pointedly, and I think it's very powerful. He says this, we do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and to listen to him. Do you take, your, do you take being with Jesus seriously? Do you, take, do, you, do you take abiding seriously? And if you don't, if you can't answer that question, when is your quiet time? If it's whenever I have time or whenever I feel like it, I can guarantee you this. It's not going to happen. Because there's so many things fighting for your time. And there's so many emotions in you that you might not feel like it at the time. See, the same thing is true of any significant human relationship. We know this in our human relationships, don't we? You don't take your marriage seriously if you don't make time to spend with your spouse. You don't take your relationship with your kids seriously if you don't, you know, if you don't make time to be with them and to talk with them. You don't take your friendship seriously. And so we ha- do we take our relationship with God seriously? You've got to schedule time. Don't wait until you feel like it. Don't wait until it's convenient. Schedule time with God. And this is, it hurts me to say this, even if you have to wake up earlier. That's what Jesus did, because he was so busy. Or even if you go to bed a little bit later, or even if instead of, you know, spending your, your lunchtime at work scrolling through social media, you, ju- you just spend that time in prayer or in scripture. I mean, if you feel like this is unattainable to spend daily time, quiet time with God, then I would just challenge you, perhaps you're moving too fast. Perhaps your schedule is too full of other things. And do you genuinely believe that your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in your life? And, uh, and, and so hear me out. I'm not saying you need to add quiet time into your already busy schedule. I'm saying you need to take that already busy schedule and possibly eliminate some things, and possibly slow down in your life. And I'm excited, and, and this, that's a whole, this is actually a whole sermon series. We're gonna be doing a sermon series actually in October called No Hurry. And uh, it's, it's based on John Mark, it kind of takes the same framework as John Mark Comer's Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you've read that book, if you haven't, you can, you can read that book in preparation for that series. But essentially, we need to have a slowed down spirituality. We need to have a slowed down spirituality if we're genuinely going to be able to abide in Christ. All right, the first question was where, the second question was when, third question, everyone say what? What? What activities help you abide? What things 
do you actually do that can help you connect with Jesus? And the reality is the spiritual, this is what the spiritual disciplines are. The spiritual disciplines uh, are activities that attach us to Jesus. Uh, spending time in God's presence, it's not going to, to just happen automatically because you're a Christian. Uh, there are intentional things that you're going to be able to do. There are activities that will actually foster attachment to Christ. And the spiritual disciplines, what I mean by those is, is those are any of those spiritual activities that we do, like prayer, reading the Bible, Sabbath, fasting, silence and solitude, even showing up to a worship gathering. It's one of those things. Now, the reality is that these things, these activities, spiritual disciplines, are not the end in and of themselves. They're the means to the end of abiding. Do you catch that? So one of the things we get wrong, I think maybe in American Christianity or maybe just in general, is we kind of look at spiritual disciplines as the end goal in and of themselves. And we kind of get a skewed perspective that they earn us gold stars in heaven and we feel bad and guilty when we do. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, Henry Blackaby, who wrote a book called uh, Experiencing God, I went through that with uh, my life group last year. It's a great resource, by the way, but this is what he has to say about that. He says, religious activity, apart from fellowship with God, is empty ritual. And we can, just, uh, we can apply that across the board. Showing up to church without fellowship with God is empty ritual. Spending time reading scripture without, without fellowship with God is empty ritual. Prayer without fellowship with God. It's just empty ritual. And so it's, it's possible to show up to be with Jesus, but actually miss him, to miss him in the... Anyone, Spirit of Boise? Here's a picture. We went on Saturday uh, to the Spirit of Boise, and the kids, it was the first time I had ever been, and the kids were really excited, and they didn't launch on Saturday. Oh, it was such a letdown, by the way. Last time I go to Spirit of Boise. <laughs> Anyways, and, uh, but like balloons, hot air, like for some reason it's kind of like a thing in Boise, like hot air balloons are a thing here. And uh, so we were there, the Spirit of Boise, and I you know, posted a couple photos. And then later that day, I saw tons of people who were uh, Facebook friends or whatever, social Instagram friends, also were there. And I had no idea because there's literally thousands of people at Ann Morrison Park for this. I was like, I didn't know that person was there. I didn't know that person was there. And here's the point. We were all at the same location, but we missed each other. Do you see that? Were we connecting with each other? No, we were connecting with the disappointing balloons. <laughs> and it's possible to show up to a place and even schedule a time but I actually completely missed. Have you experienced that in your life? It's very normal for Christians to do lots of religious activities that because they, they're missing that fellowship with God actually turn to empty ritual. And, uh, and I just, I mean, I hope that we would be able to adjust the activities that we're doing in order to abide in Christ. And when we talk about, when we talk about your unique kind of combination of activities, of spiritual disciplines, really what we're talking about is something called a rule of life. Uh, King's Cross Church in London def defines a rule of life like this. A rule of life is a set of practices and rhythms in our life that help us grow towards Jesus and for living as free people. 
Now, I preached uh, a series, an eight-week series called Rule of Life back in February of 2021. And if you ever miss a teaching series, by the way, you can go to our website, and it has all the teachings on there. And there's actually a button. Does everyone point to the button? Do you see the button? little button right there. It says rule of life worksheet. There's literally a worksheet on our website that will help you create a rule of life and an eight-week teaching series where I explore what a rule of life is, all the different areas that we might consider uh, a rule of life. But essentially, here's all a rule of life is. It's you've made decisions ahead of time on what spiritual disciplines you're going to participate in. That's all it is. It's, It's, are you going to go to church? Are you going to be a part of a life group? Are you going to read your Bible? Are you going to pray? And and you essentially make decisions, make a plan ahead of time in order to do that. So I would encourage you, if you don't have any kind of like, if it's just like, I'm going to show up Monday morning, and if I follow Jesus or not, we'll see what happens. If if your relationship with Christ is that kind of ethereal and ambiguous, a lifestyle of Christ. And uh, two essential practices, by the way, I've mentioned them already, but it's, it's worth highlighting these. Two essential spiritual practices is Bible reading and prayer. Bible reading and prayer. Uh, those are the two pillars. Now, if you're already reading the Bible, but you feel like you're not abiding in Christ, you're kind of missing him, you're showing up to the balloon event, but you didn't know Jesus was also at the balloon event, right, that kind of idea, then I would encourage you to maybe slow down This might not even be like you need to add a bunch of spiritual activities if you're already doing these things, right? To slow down in your Bible reading. If you're on a Bible reading plan that's really ambitious, I actually am reading one that's like really fast, like it's like a lot of chapters and all this sort of stuff, to maybe slow down your Bible reading and spend more time meditating on Scripture instead of just plowing through, checking the box, and moving on with your day. Does that make sense? If you don't have any time to really reflect on what you just read, or to reread or to chew on scripture, then it may not be like, you need to read the Bible more, double it, right? Boost those numbers. Then what you might actually need to do is you might actually need to read a little bit less and just slow down and meditate to help you abide in Christ as you read. So it might be the same activity, but an adjustment in how you do that activity. And the second one is prayer, and we can do the same thing in prayer. Uh, In prayer, if you're only ever asking God for things, which asking God for things is is a legitimate way of prayer, but it's not the only way of prayer, then I would encourage you to try incorporating other forms of prayer in your prayer life, like thanking God for things, or giving God praise, or maybe even silent prayer, just listening to the Spirit and spending time in silence before Him. So, So we're gonna ask ourselves those three questions. Where, when, and what? Now, what I want to do is I want to set some expectations a little bit more realistically, because if you know Mark chapter 6, and what happens next is Jesus gets interrupted. Look at what it says, Mark six thirty four. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So Jesus and the disciples, they're literally getting in a boat to get away, to spend some time abiding with Christ, to spend time in prayer. It's a spiritual retreat, and they get interrupted, and their whole plan gets derailed, okay? So you can make a rule of life. You could have a schedule. You can assign, like, this is my chair, and you get it all nice the night before, and you're there, and you woke up early, but there's a baby in the crib, and she's crying, and you're like, come on, right? And Jesus gets interrupted, and we see Jesus do this consistently. He actually leans into the interruption. He doesn't turn the boat around. He's not like, I'm going to leave that baby crying in her crib. She needs to learn one of these days. (laughs) 
He's, he leans into the interruption. He has compassion. He cares about people. And one of, the, one of these, the greatest miracles, six, you will too, okay? You will too. Your plan that you make for being with Jesus will go out the window. And yet, what we read at the end of this is Jesus still prioritizes spending time in prayer. Look at this in Mark chapter 6, 45 through 46. Immediately, so this is after the feeding of the 5,000, he made his disciples, he made them, okay? He made them. He forced them. He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. So originally, his plan was Jesus was going to spend time in prayer with the disciples. And he was like, listen, I don't have time for you guys anymore. I just need some me time with the Father. And he still pursues that time of prayer. He prioritizes it. Here's the point for us. Strive for consistency. Strive for consistency. You get behind in your reading plan, I would encourage you not to read double or triple as much. You, you miss a day of prayer, you miss a morning prayer session, I would encourage you not to try and like, well, I'm gonna double it, or instead of praying 10 minutes a day, I'm gonna pray 70 minutes on Saturdays or whatever, right? Consistency is more important than intensity. Spent cultivating those habits, cultivating that regular time, going to those places regularly, that's going to be the thing that over the long term will yield the best fruit. Don't let your circumstances derail your time with God. You're going to be interrupted. It's not always going to go as planned. And yet, still find ways to strive for consistency and to make it happen. Now, here at the end, I just want to speak to you for just a moment. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I want to let you know that, that even if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, the first thing I want you to know about Jesus is that he loves you. He cares about you. And the God of the universe desires a relationship with you. And that should, that's mind-blowing to me still, right? That, that he, he wants a relationship with us. In Revelation chapter 3, there's these different words to the churches. And one of the churches that's described is the church of Laodicea, and it's described as being lukewarm in their faith. They're neither hot nor cold. And uh, this church is actually eerily similar to the American church, in my opinion. And at the end of this word to the church in Laodicea, look at what Jesus says in Revelation 3 verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Look at how Jesus describes a relationship with him. I mean, imagine Jesus is outside the door to the church right now. And he's knocking. And I, and I know that there's churches in the world right now where they're doing the, the rituals, they're doing the services, they're, they're singing songs, and Jesus is... Will any of you let me into your life? Where, where they're, they're in the right place, and they're maybe it's the right, it's a Sunday morning, it's 9.15, it's the right time. But Jesus is saying, will you let me into your midst? And I would just say to you for a moment, if, you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, he's knocking on the door to your heart. And he's at, will you let me in? Will you let me in? And how do we know that Jesus wants that relationship? Because he was willing to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. 
and, and, and to be raised to life three days later so that we might be forgiven and reconciled and made new and receive the Holy Spirit and have our sins forgiven so that we could be in a right relationship with God. And I just wanna ask you this one question. Before, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, before you answer those other three questions, where's your quiet place? When is your quiet time? You know, what activities help you abide? I, it's great you, you know, for you to do those things, but here's the first question I would say for you if you're not a follower of Jesus. Will you open the door to Jesus? Will you open the door? He's knocking, he's willing, he's died, he's rose again, and he's able and he's willing to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of unrighteousness and to raise you up into a new life in Christ. He's right at the door to your life. Will you open the door to him? Last Sunday, we got to celebrate 22 people opening the door to Jesus through baptism. Can we celebrate that? <laughs> baptism, prayer, professing Jesus, these aren't things that we do to earn our salvation. These are things that we do to open up and surrender our lives to Christ. If you want more information about baptism, you can find that online at hillcityboise.org slash baptism. But if you missed last week, or even if you were there and just want to celebrate once again, we're going to watch this video with the stories, the testimonies, and get to witness 22 people opening the door to Jesus through baptism. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. And when the opportunity came, uh, here I am. decided to get baptized. To be obedient to Jesus Christ. I definitely am striving for obedience to my Heavenly Father. It's uh, outward proclamation to the world that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and my Redeemer. I believe in Jesus and I want him to lead my life. I know that without God in my life, I wouldn't be here. And it's through his grace and his mercy that I'm still here. Religion wasn't talked about in my family growing up. And I wanted to start fresh, start over, start new with my marriage, my life, and with God. I want to get baptized because I want Jesus in my life. I wanted to become a part of God's kingdom, and I just thought, why wait? I'm getting baptized today because I've just felt that calling on my heart for a while now. I was baptized as a baby in the Catholic Church, and as my uh, study of scripture has gotten deeper in the last few years, and uh, going to this church, I've really felt that call even more until I realized that, you know, we're called to be baptized, and I want to make that declaration in front of my church home, in front of my wife, in front of my baby, and so I'm really excited to take that step in my faith journey today. of God can do for everybody. Because of the grace he's given me in my life, I want to dedicate the rest of my life to Jesus Christ.
that I do follow Jesus, absolutely. This is the opportunity to wash my sins away in the river and, and to be made clean. It's time. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.